Hello. Hello. How are you? I am very good. How are you? Pretty good. Ah, uh, I am almost utterly unprepared today. Almost. Almost utterly. You sound. Why do you sound so good? Uh, because I try. No, I mean hard. you really like something good is going on right now. Oh. Mm. Ukraine something? You know, I can speak very close to the microphone. <laughs> oh, you know, it's a little, I made it a little louder. I like I it over, louder. Sometimes I overdrive. I um, I also got this uh, screen that Marco recommended that's really funny. You know Marco. Marco always gets, not always, he frequently gets a very high-end version of something. He tests a bunch of them. On Slack, he was recommending this thing that I think it was like $14, $16. It's this thing you get off Amazon. And it's <laughs> it's uh, it's it's it looks like something that you would buy on a street corner <laughs> in uh, a Southeast Asian country. It's covered with like it's terrible, terrible art on this. I forget what this thing's even called. I'll look it up. But basically, it's this crappy little shock mount that's made out of a bunch of rubber bands, and they're held together in these little holes, so you kind of make a little nest for your mic to go in. It's the world's cheapest shock mount. <laughs> you put it into the world's cheapest shock mount, and then you put the world's cheapest screen on it. But it seems to work pretty well. I'm liking it. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know, I'm always I'm hard on the plosives. Plosives. <laughs> yes, you are. Autobahn. <laughs> now, see, am I overdriving? No. I'm probably too loud. No, you sound great. Thank you. Keep it up. I always notice everybody else's other side and call recorder is always louder than mine. Hmm. And, you know, well, I fix that in post <laughs> most of the time. Um, how's, your, how's your fireside going? I, I have a, a, a project coming soon that uh, I understand may be uh, on fireside, right? Is that how you say it? Yeah, that's how you say it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I may have a project coming up on there soon. But how, how's that going? It sounds like you've been rolling it out. Yeah, rolling it out. Some initial, uh, some initial beta you know, it's it's. I should call it early access as opposed to beta because I think beta to people implies that it's maybe it's not quite done or it's not finished or it's going to be completely. You're, that you're. Free it used to or, mean that you're. I mean, it used to mean that you're there to help the developer find bugs. That's mm-hmm. what it meant, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in this case, you feel like it's in pretty good shape, but oh, I, yeah. it's probably it's got to be partly a scalability issue. Mm. Maybe. And, I mean, just we'll find out. I'm we'll sorry. Find... Just in terms of managing, if there is anything that comes up, you would rather that it be for 500 people than 5 million people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If there's if there's a bug that we haven't found, uh, yeah, I'd rather that affect 5 instead of 5,000 or whatever number for sure. I'm excited. Well, my uh, my, my partner in crime on this on this uh, new, newish project wants to give it a try. So uh, we might be, uh, yeah, I can... might be living on your server. You're in. Yeah, I'm in. I, I, like, I like when you do new things. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, not really. I don't really do things. <laughs> no, no, do of course not. No one does. I used to do more things. <laughs> you know, Roderick and I were talking about this yesterday. John, John has just realized, our friend John Roderick, has just realized, uh, really realized that his hands are not symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> like really not symmetrical. It's like he's got a ham hand over here on the right, and he's got this elegant, uh, you know, white Russian hand over on his left. And um, it's uh, it's it's something I think about a lot. I think about the lack of symmetry. I know <laughs> of I've his about hands or in general. Well, I think about a lot of things with John. Can't air all of them, <laughs> but I, I I think about I think about the lack of symmetry. I think about the fact that like it seems normal that I'm almost fifty and my feet hurt, but my two feet hurt in different ways. They're not even symmetrical in the way that they hurt. Do you know how many bones are in the human foot? Do you know how much uh, a human head weighs? <laughs> <laughs> you like gladiator movies? Ever seen a seen grown a man? Grown man naked. 
<laughs> movie still holds it. up. It's still good. Uh, it's still, still, still good. Still it's a funny uh, movie. Some movies are not as uh, as good as you remember. That that's a that's a silly movie. That's a fun. So this is the movie Airplane from 1980, I believe. Now, what you can't here's the thing: these these, these millenniums today, what they can't appreciate <laughs> is that. When those uh, Abram Zucker, whatever they're called, when those when those movies started coming out, or when the like, Police Squad came out, yeah, you were seeing actors from actors who had frequently had their heyday 10, 15, 20 years earlier, right? People like Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack. I watched Lloyd Bridges on that when he was like a, a scuba guy. What was that called? Sea Hunt or something like that. I watched. And Robert Stack had been in like The Untouchables. You're seeing these these people who had made their whole career out of playing super straight, like tough guys or like police captains or something like that. Mm-hmm. Leslie Nielsen. No, Leslie Nielsen had a career as kind of like a a '70s TV show bad guy for a while. He was always like the heavy, or like you know the guy who was behind the whole you know scheme. And then you get them all in this movie that is absolutely ridiculous. You have them doing these line readings perfectly straight for these things that are just like fourth grade humor. And then you add in Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And it's like, that's, that's so brilliant. And they're so cheaply made, but so fun. But like, it's the thing you, that's difficult to appreciate, and then me explaining it will not make it funnier. But the thing that was so funny at the time was like everybody's seen Leslie Nielsen on like whatever, like Columbo and stuff like that. And that, yeah, our generation, who was in their teens at the time, had never seen any of these actors doing a comedic part, especially like st- playing it straight. You know, as and a that's kid... That's why movies are funny. Yeah. I think... I'm trying to remember what year Airplane was. Was it 77? I think it's ni- uh, 1980. 1980. Uh, you know, when we were watching this, we were, you know, like maybe 10 years old. A little, I was a little less than 10 years old. So these were actors that, like, I recognized them. But I couldn't have, it wasn't like the way an adult watching the movie would say, oh, right, I remember him from Columbo. I remember him from, you know, oh, whatever. Really? For me as a kid, it's like I knew I knew their faces and I knew that they were serious actors, but I didn't I, I didn't quite appreciate it as much as I think some adults may have appreciated it because they were familiar with these people and understood they were playing a a, a comedy role, but they were playing it straight and that makes it funnier. But yet, like mm-hmm. I kind of got it anyway. As a oh, kid, yeah, you know what I mean? I, and I, in a way, I couldn't quite explain. The same way that, like, I, I'd be watching Bugs Bunny, and I would know I would, th- I would know something was funny. You could tell they're doing a parody of yeah. like a Warner Brothers movie. Right, 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 right. And, like, I knew who Groucho Marx was, so when I would see Bugs Bunny doing a Groucho Marx thing, like, I, I kind of got it. But I, they both seemed old to me, and I knew that they were from a generation before mine, and... You know, or like when they would have like a like a a celebrity on the Flintstones, you know, and they'd be like the like like Anne Margaret. <laughs> yes, that was actually Anne Margaret. <laughs> right, out. they would have them on, and they do the same things with the Simpsons and all these parodies that you see on the Simpsons that um, you know, like that that my kids don't know. They don't know what the reference is. Like they don't never seen Clockwork Orange. I don't understand why Bart's got eyelashes and wearing a you know bowler hat like that doesn't make sense to them so that's one i haven't shown them yet but 
in a lot of these shows, I can say, oh, did you just see that sequence? That's this. And thank you for trusty YouTube. Like, I can pull up the thing and say, that was this scene in this movie. Or you hear the sound the little spaceship makes every time when a door opens. That's from the Jetsons on Futurama. Or that's from Star Trek on the sound of the door or whatever. And, you know, being able to put these things together is a lot of fun. And the weirdest thing, all of a sudden now, out of the blue, my uh, son, on his own, went and found... Uh, old episode of Star Trek and watched it on his own. So I don't, you know, this wow. is either a huge parenting win or a, I've done something terrible and I don't know, I don't know yet. It remains to Why be seen. Why would you say that? that? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> well. well, he should he should get the chance to go enjoy that very, very, very old show. I love that show, but, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Hmm. Well, two things. First of all, the budget, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, the budget for Airplane was $3.5 million. That's not a great deal of money no. for a movie. Mm-mm. Box office, $130 million. So that was a good investment. Also, last night, as of last night, I have doubled the number of Star Trek The Next Generation uh, episodes I've seen. I watched two last night, so now I've seen four. Oh, that's all you've seen ever? Which ones did you yeah. watch? Uh, I watched two really good ones. Max Temkin was suggesting uh, once. The, I watched The Measure of a Man, which is the one where a guy wants to come and like take data apart to figure out what his deal is. Oh, yeah. This, the like, court, courtroom court. yeah, thing where the, they had Picard and uh, Riker again defending... And Riker yeah, and if was. You, if you grade on a curve for budget plus hey nineties, like it's it was really good. And then I watched a really good episode called uh, "The Inner Light," where something happens to uh, Professor X, and he ends up <laughs> transported into this world where he's he's in this on in this like village that's like really suffering from like a lack of water. And uh, I won't spoil it because it, it, it was actually like weirdly moving. It was really quite good. If you like stuff like time travel things or things like Synecdoche, New York, about, you know, just about time, uh, I would say definitely check out. I think it's maybe I'll find out where, where it is, but I, I, I would really recommend it. Um, I, I'm, I remember very, very vividly how much I enjoyed Star Trek TNG when I was a kid growing up, watching it, looking forward to watching it. I loved it. I mean, looking back on the episodes now, I don't feel that for, you know, for some reason there is a certain kind of charm and, and, uh, and, and I still have as a very special place in my heart for the original series. And I don't know if it's because I watched it when I was so young or what, but when I watch the next generation, there's some where I just, there's some parts of it where I'm just like, oh yeah. Mm, mm. But I still loved that show, and I loved the soul of that show, and I, I got so much great entertainment out of it growing up. I just, I'm surprised that you hadn't seen more episodes of it. I'm glad you're doing it. Well, I, I thank you. I feel like I've talked this to death, but um, it came out during my, I think came out during my first year of college. And a TV show that comes out in your first year of college, unless you really make a point of following it, like I did with uh, Pee Wee, you know, you, you, um, you really have to seek it out because you get kind of busy with other stuff. And then if you miss that, you, then it's kind of, you don't really like pick it up as much. I mean, that's not always true, but there's so many things where like I, I knew everything about TV, eh, like the schedule, the time, the cast, you know, when I, from the time I was a little kid, I knew that up until really I started college or maybe a little bit in high school. I wasn't paying as much attention, but uh, then I really, I just dropped off the map and I never, I didn't get completely back in until, you know, I got a job and stuff in the right. 90s. I'm linking to something in uh, show notes. Uh, the the self same Max Temkin has written a couple really good posts on getting started with 
the one uh, oh, oh 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 so he does he did one called Star Trek the Next Generation in 40 hours and he gives you a how to get started with Star Trek the Next Generation that's like heavily annotated annotated opinionated but like really smart like and he walks through like what the deal with the show is and it's it's a wonderful piece of writing cuz Max is a really good writer he also did one on uh Deep Space 69 uh Deep Space 9 in 82.5 hours and I'll put those both in show notes. Um, See, I didn't. I never got into Deep Space Nine except for the Odo stuff. Odo, yeah, mm-hmm. Odo's mm-hmm. Odo was pretty cool, and that he was a great actor. Endicott from Benson. Endicott. Oh, Endicott. Sure, yeah. sure, sure. I. Oh, yeah, Endicott. Endicott. That's a uh, Rene Abergenois. Rene Abergenois. He was also on uh, on the Mash. He was in. He played. Uh, he was Father on Mulcahy. Mash. Well, 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 well. Just a moment. He played. <laughs> suddenly, I'm Mr. Peabody. He um. He played, I believe he played Father Mulcahy in the movie Mesh. Really? Rene Abergenois. <laughs> I think that's his name. Rene Abergenois. He was a great, he was a great actor. He's a, he's a hell of an actor. Hell of an actor. Uh, oh, look at him. Yeah, he really looks like Odo now. That's weird. Like he, hmm. in his aging process, you're saying he has, be- he has become Odo? Yes, yes. He has become Odo. But he's cool. He's, 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 seen, he's seen some stuff. He's, you know... Uh, yeah, I was listening to an interview uh, this morning. Uh, Alec Baldwin was interviewing uh, Kevin Klein on Here's the Thing. Boy, what a charming guy. What a, what a very charming guy Kevin Klein is. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what Kevin Klein looks like. You know, we're all so ugly and old now. I wonder what he looks like. He looks fantastic. Yeah. He looks, he looks great. So good. Um, so Star Trek, what was the other thing I was going to say about Star Trek? Yeah, you know, in my are you my, more are you more of a I don't want to make this a big thing, but I don't know if we've ever gotten into it. Are you more of a Star Trek or a Star Wars or a both? Like, is that one well, thing where you have to like you can't like Zeppelin and Pink Floyd? You've got to go, ho- yeah, right. hopefully, towards Zeppelin. Beatles, Beatles and the Stones, right? Well, I mean, it's not even a comparison. I, I did I actively did not like Star Trek when I was a kid. Um, I just did, I thought it was silly. Uh, I did not like it. Um, and Star Star Wars. The movie uh, in 1977 changed my life. So, I mean, it's not even like a really fair comparison. I just didn't like Star Trek. This, this kind of makes me think this might be related to my utter lack of preparation where we talk about maybe discussing how changes in how we watch media because I think there's, there's a little bit of uh, meat on, still on the bone to talk about with in our update series where we could talk about how we watch things differently. Oh, yeah. And I mean, the thing we end up talking about, you know, probably at least once a month is uh, at a time when you had three to five channels – uh, you kind of get what you get. You don't get upset. You know, it's like that's what's on. S- Star Trek is on at five. It's right after Dennis the Menace, and like you watch Star Trek because that's what's on. <laughs> right. And right. I mean, we the, a lot of the choice was made for us. It was based on turning the TV on, and that's that's the thing you get. Absolutely. That's crazy um, when you when you really phrase it that way and think about it. You know. Yeah, I should probably say this for the discussion, but I mean, one thing to think about is um, it's it's. There was so much relatively less entertainment options out there, so many fewer entertainment options out there because, like I said, you had a certain number of channels. You were fixed at the times that you could watch them. It was on. Like if you missed this episode of Happy Days, you know, in October, maybe you'll catch it in a rerun in June. But then it was gone and like until it went into syndication. And syndication, you know, uh, syndication didn't happen as quickly as it does now. I mean, I, I feel like feels like Friends went into syndication like while well, it was still on the air. Mm, yeah. What do yeah. they say these days? You have to have 100 episodes to go to syndication, something like that. But, you know, it was the stuff that was syndicated when I was a kid um, was stuff from the 60s. There was not 
that mm. much recent right, stuff. Right. Like as a kid, I remember sitting there watching, you know, Mr. Ed and the Munsters and I Dream of Jeannie. And these were shows, Gilligan's Island. Is that you know, TV Land? What's that? We, we watching on, are we watching it on TV Land? When I was a little boy? No, it's just on... The... Oh, you're talking about like on UHF. Yeah, UHF stuff. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so like I would, I would just be sitting there watching this because, again, like I'm not going to watch soap operas. So what else are you going to watch on TV? This is what was on. And I remember, you know, w- watching these shows that were... These were black and white a lot of the... Gomer Pyle. You know, yeah. they were black and white shows... When I knew everything new was coming out in color, but these are black and white and immediately said, oh, these are, you know, these are old, but I still liked them. I still enjoyed them. I still, you know, found a way to somehow enjoy Mr. Ed. But these were shows from the, you know, from, I guess, the 60s that I was watching in the mid 70s, late 70s. Right. And so if you think about that, do you think about any of the shows from the 50s and 60s? Um they were clearly, you know, there was no, there were no bones to be made about the fact that this was a product for mass consumption. Because, you know, again, if you're putting on a network show, you're talking about millions and millions of people, and it's probably going to be a family watching it. It wasn't until the 70s that we came up with that idea of, you know, family hour, where like you would not show explicit stuff before nine. Oh, yeah, right. But even still, there, like, there wasn't even really any need to say that, because no, you wouldn't put stuff on TV that was like that. The Smothers Brothers tried some pretty... Um, it's a pretty aggressive stuff politically and got kicked off the air. Uh, you know, you just didn't have shows like that. So the shows had to appeal to a fairly broad swath of the population. Uh, but they also, back then, you would rarely have a TV show, maybe accepting something like maybe The Prisoner or uh, what's the uh, one where Harrison Ford runs away? The Fugitive. Fugitive, Just sure. like that. Like those shows had an arc, but they were still, you know, you would still watch an episode from beginning to end and it wouldn't be confusing. You could figure out like, oh, that's the sidekick. That's the girl. Right. That's the yelling boss. Like that, there were these, these types on, on those kinds of shows. And you, you, know, it, you could jump in at any point. So as little kids, what this all meant was that the stuff that we had available to us was you know, whatever came along, when it came on, you jumped in when you jumped in because that's when you jumped in. And I mean, I, we, uh, I showed my daughter the Monsters a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. She, thought it was, she thought it was pretty funny. And of course, as soon as we started watching the monsters, I was like, you know, screw that. Let's watch the Adams family. It's a lot better. <laughs> so we're watching those and like and to her, I, I think it's anything black and white, first of all, this has been true for for decades, but especially now, like you and I were used to seeing black and white stuff. For her, like she can watch we've seen Duck Soup a couple dozen times probably, and that's that's an especially hilarious movie, but she has that's maybe one of the only black and white movies she's ever seen. She just doesn't see them and it's very unappealing. So the show comes on, we would watch it. You could jump in at any point. It had to appeal to lots of people. There were lots of commercials, et cetera, et cetera. So how's it different today? Oh my God, how is that not different today? Because even like last night, imagine imagine this world back in 1981. Imagine you go to go to your you go to your computer that you put in your pocket, and you talk to your friend who you met over the internet, and you see that he suggested an episode of Star Trek. In this case, he was suggesting a, an episode to a woman that he works with. And I said, is that a good episode to jump in with? He goes, no, you should start with me- or Measure of a Man. And I said, okay, I'll give it a try because I've been meaning to watch some Star Trek anyway. And I'm able to go to my TV, which now has this huge availability of movies and TV that I can buy and watch right now, but wait for it. When I went and searched for Star Trek The Next Generation mm-hmm. on, iTunes, on um, Apple TV, yeah. You know, you get the badges to show you where you can watch it. 
Yeah, it was available on iTunes. It was also available on Hulu and Netflix and the CBS app. So I could watch it for free in any of those places. So I opened it up on Netflix. So I, I realized that, you know, if you're a millennium, you're hearing this and going, well, yeah, that's, that's called life. That's what we do now. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of ridiculous that my friend I met on the Internet, I use my phone to, to uh, not, not talking, but just typing. He tells me an episode of a TV show that was on 25 years ago. I pull it up and watch it immediately for free. Yeah. So, you know, the time shifting, I'd love to talk if, we, if you want this for a topic. Yeah, I'd love, I love to that. kind of roll, roll back and start with like when we think this all started happening. But there's so many crazy things happening there. Um, and now you really have the ability to, to go in and take the advice of people and go talk about these things and find out what might be interesting to you. You can go and sample it. I mean, it wasn't, what, 10, 15 years ago? Like, you know, you could get a, like a sample of an MP3 to listen to maybe, but you didn't get like that much, you know, legal streaming music out there. Right. You still had to go and like buy an album. So I don't know. I think it's an interesting topic. Well, it really is. And just thinking about how the internet has changed things, you know, it used to be where people would say, oh, well, you know, like, where, where'd you get that cool thing? So I got it here. And well, they don't have it here in my store. So I guess I can't have it. Well, Amazon, you know, fixed that problem. It fixed the problem of, I want to get this thing. Where do I get it? Well, Amazon's going, probably going to have it. Even if your local pharmacy doesn't, if your local drugstore doesn't, if your local, you know, auto parts place doesn't have it. You can order, everything can be ordered and had almost instantaneously, you know, the next day for $4, you get it the next day. It's just like you're saying with, with music or with TV, you know, if, if yeah, yeah, like yeah. I was watching uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind again, which is, I feel still a fantastic movie that still really holds up. And it still looks really good too. It still looks really good, and there's... I mean, Duel, Duel looks, you know, like a movie from the 70s. Jaws, <laughs> great movie, but Jaws really looks like a movie from the 70s. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I mean, but for 1977, mm-hmm. I think Close Encounters looks pretty darn good. I, but even the effects look pretty good. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you can... There, I was recalling that one scene about uh, where, where Weird Al in his movie UHF, where he's sort of you know, making a parody scene where he's messing with his mashed potatoes saying, this is, this is important, <laughs> you know, but like all I, all I had to do when I wanted to see that scene was go to YouTube and type in weird Al, this is important. And it comes up, you know, that's still amazing to me when I really think about it, that everything that you could possibly want to, to, to watch or listen to, that you can you can pretty much do it, and usually there's a straightforward, legal, and relatively inexpensive way to do it. Yeah, and and if you if you had said, you think about when you, in fairness, like going to a movie when we were a kid, it was what like probably three bucks, something like that, two three bucks. And then there were, even in the '90s, we had dollar movies where there'd be things in second run that you could see for a buck. But you know, even if you said to somebody, imagine that, uh, well. I should also say that there are people who are never going to pay for TV. It's like George Costanza refusing to pay for parking. Mm-hmm. There are people who think you should never have to pay for TV. And I, I understand that. But the idea that for whatever it is, Netflix is, what, 10 bucks a month, something like that, that the idea that you would have all of those movies and all those TV shows on demand is, I think it has, knowing that that is there has fundamentally changed a lot about how we think about media in a way that, at once, as with talking about ubiquitous devices last week, I think it might take a minute to, to really realize how different that is versus going like, well, I've seen this particular episode of Gilligan's Island three times, but I'll watch it again. Mm-hmm. You know, just because it's on. It's got Larry Storch. It'll be fun. Um, 
Okay, I think we got a topic. Do, do you want to tell me about uh, something that you like? Oh, I would be happy to. I'll tell you about uh, our friends over at Wealthfront. Wealthfront. This is a great way to invest some money. It's a great way for you to save for the future. It's a great way for you to save for your retirement, for your kids. A lot of people have been told there's this thing that people who are a little bit older will say, oh, start investing now. Start saving now. Man, if I had only started saving when I was your age. And then you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a, you know, a few hundred bucks in the bank. But really, when, when you think about it, if you start, and it doesn't really matter when you start, but if you start as early as you can, and that might just be today, that putting a little bit of that money away now, it, if it's invested correctly and not just sitting in a savings account or a checking account uh, or, or in a sort of unmanaged, mismanaged you know, 401k or, or um, IRA or something somewhere, like if, if you actually invest this with intelligence – it can really earn for you. But most of us, myself included, like I don't have time to do that. I'm not really interested in like learning about index funds and moving money from one place to another, depending on how the market's performing that day. None of that's interesting to me. And to be honest, it's a little bit kind of weird and maybe even kind of scary for people to do. Well, Wealthfront makes all of that really, really easy. Because this is what they do. They've got really, really great technology. They've got rigorous investment research. They cut out the middleman. And they're giving everybody really good investment management. And you can start with as little as like 500 bucks. So you throw 500 bucks in there or more. I think they say that uh, they, 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 yeah, uh, nearly $3 billion is how much uh, they're managing in client assets. And the average is about 60000 well, you can start with 500 bucks. You get the same access to their technologies, to their, to their advice that, uh, that you get if you were putting in millions of dollars, which is uh, incredibly valuable. And they do it in a way that is really, really fair. Uh, for listeners of this show, if you go to wealthfront.com slash five by five, they will manage your first $15,000 entirely free of charge for life. You will never pay any commissions. You will never pay any hidden fees. And you won't pay any management fees on your first $15,000 invested. Usually it's $10,000 for our listeners. It's, uh, it's $15,000. So go there and check it out and learn what they can do for you. It might just be uh, a way to make some, uh, some more money, make your money work for you. Wealthfront.com slash 5 by 5 Thanks, Wealthfront. I can't remember how this started, but last night we just started third grade yesterday. And after school, um, I saw the we were... the books that you. <laughs> yeah, have. those are not necessarily third grade books, though, are they? Nope. Pretty advanced. Mm-hmm. That's the idea. She's got board books. Like if she wants to pat the bunny, she knows where that is. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, to that point, I, I gosh, I wish I could remember how this started. We were just hanging around, lazing around after school, and um, talking about something. And for some reason, I thought of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I thought, you know, I, I read that when I was like 14. Right. And, uh, you know, I think I understood most of the jokes and understood most of the references. But I was like, hmm, you know, this would be a fun book for us for us to read together, like for me to read to her. And, uh, and then I, I thought about a couple other books like that. And Amazon Prime delivered them two hours later. Nice. Two hours That's later. Two hours later, yeah. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. I, I got some fire or some uh, lightning cables and uh, three paperback books, mass market uh, paperback books. So yeah, those came out. And then we started reading it last night and uh, she thinks it's pretty funny. And uh, now she wants all of them. In the, um, <laughs> what's the phrase? In the increasingly 
incorrectly named trilogy of uh, the four books. But anyway, she, um, but I, you know, I was in junior high when I read that and I loved it and I thought this would be fun. And I don't know. I, well, so as a total side note here, like I, I get the idea of age appropriate things when it comes to, you know, things like violence and sex. Like you don't want to expose your kid to stuff like that. But, you know, uh, is she going to get every joke in that? Does she understand that that was a joke about Jesus and this is a joke about digital watches? Well, not really, but that's okay. She can still read it and she can still decide if that's something that she wants to get into. I mean, ditto Ender's Game. Like, I, th- I think it's a little early for her, pretty early for her for, for that, but like, it'll be around and like, she can grab it when she wants. And she knows it's a cool nerd book. And I was like, you know, if you, I didn't want to make too much of a deal out of it because she is a, you know, a self described uh, nerd. But I was like, you know, this is this is this Hitchhiker's Guide for what it's worth is is a book that a lot of people like us have read oh, and yeah. really enjoyed and you yeah. you will stand in good stead if you read this and enjoy it and you will this will could be a gateway to lots of other things that you know you can end up really enjoying but that's that's the kind of thing where like and I could have gotten that on an iPad again how crazy is that I can just down buy a book right on the iPad but I thought it'd be better to have the hard copy of that but that's the kind of change I couldn't have imagined I mean. You know, I guess you could for years go to the library and get it or get it through interlibrary loan. But I think when these, when setting aside perhaps the buying of things or the consumption of things based on whims, setting that aside for a minute, I just think the idea of having such broad access to reliable streaming media changes many aspects, not just not just how we consume it, but how we discover it. Mm-hmm how we enjoy it and how we might periodically pivot from one thing to another in a way that would have been impossible even like, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're inside, it's really hard to not be amazed about it, but it's also kind of, it gets boring quickly to say how amazed we are about it because I think there this just in a way it kind of represents just progress right like it 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 makes it makes sense that this is the way that things are and the way that things should be and why not we have this technology and it really in a lot of ways it seems like it has taken us a very 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 long time an extraordinarily long time to get to this point that we're finally at you know like like how long have we had the internet how long have speeds on the internet been reasonable for streaming uh, something like music? Well, for a long time. I mean, I vividly remember uh, when Napster first came out. And of course, I never use Napster and have no idea what you're talking about. But I remember when it... You're more of a Kazam man. Right. And I remember when it came out. And LimeWire. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember, and this is back in the days where Windows was... 100 percent on every desktop in in the corporate workspace and you know my friend who's sitting in the cube next to me he had his napster running 24 hours a day seven days a week on our very very fast internet backbone at work and he just had that thing running and he had you know gigabytes maybe terabytes of music that stuff that he's like I've always wanted this music and I was never willing to pay for it. And now I have it, you know, and and just the idea that you could truly go and get. And and of course, that was all illegal. It was you were download. If you were using Napster, you were getting music from other people. And who knows? One person paid for it. And that's, you know, that's all that uh, that mattered. And it. You know, you had you had this music, but the speed was there that the infrastructure was there. And it really took iTunes to legitimize uh, the distribution of music online to take it away from 
going to the record store and listening to uh, vinyl or a CD there and saying, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll get this and buying it to being able to get it on iTunes. And that also completely changed the music industry from the standpoint of, you, you know, it's not about the album as much as it's now just about an individual uh, an individual track. I mean, forget mm-hmm. w- which episode of the uh, American version of The Office it was, but Michael Scott was in his office, and I feel like maybe he had just broken up with his girlfriend or something, and he was playing some song, but he only had the first 15 seconds of the song in iTunes because <laughs> that's all the preview was, and he was too cheap to spend 99 cents to buy the track. So he just continuously was playing and replaying the 15 seconds of <laughs> of the, the song. And... I forget how much when they changed it, but now iTunes gives you quite a bit longer of the song. Maybe it's 30 seconds, maybe it's a minute, but even that has become, you know, has changed. But I feel like there's a lot of people who are saying, yeah, this, so what? It used to be different. Look look what we've got right now. You know, look what we can do right now. I, I remember when I was plugging in uh, my TV antenna to the HDTV antenna to my TV and my kids were both like, what do you mean? Like, what's it go into? I'm like, nothing. They're like, it doesn't go into the wall. I'm like, no, it just, it goes right here. And they're like, well, how does it, like, where does, where does it come from? Is it Wi-Fi? I'm like, no, it's not Wi-Fi. There's, you know, there's a broadcast tower sending out a signal through the air and this picks it up through the air and you can't see it. Like Wi-Fi in that way, but they, they were like, their mind was blown at this ancient, technology the idea that you know there's this thing that, and if you move the thing then the reception changes on the tv like that was just bizarre to them yeah you yeah, know and, seems, and what, the way we have it yeah. now is better packet switch networks are are better than the old way we used to run telecommunications systems you know packet switching is was the answer i remember when they were starting to roll out these systems i remember the switch from analog cell phones to digital cell phones because you could you can compress it and send way more data over uh over the same space and and how resistant i was to switching from analog to digital you know because the sound of an analog cell phone was great and digital sound. Oh, yeah, the sound, the sound quality. It was pretty rare. It, was, it would only be on something like a transatlantic call that you would notice that. But, I mean, you know, it's it's pretty rare to get that level of quality on a regular cell phone nowadays. But, yeah. I mean, on the other hand, like, do we need it? Uh, do we need it, first of all, because actually, you know what? It sounds pretty okay. But do we need it also because, hey, guess what? We're not talking on our phones as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that that kind of gets to the the to me the point behind the point. Whenever this, – this has been such a like a – like a minor obsession of mine over the last few months is it keeps coming up on here. It comes up on reconcilable differences is thinking about the future. And like, I don't really have much interest in trying to predict the future um, per se. Like, you know, there are the sites you can go to and you can make a bet about like, you know, whether this thing will happen by a certain time, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, yeah. and, um, for me, I don't have that much interest in trying to get some kind of woofy out of the ability to say, what year Apple, what month and year Apple will put out its first car and what features it will have. That particular part of it is, that's when people think about futurism or thinking about the future, I think they tend to think of it in terms of like, when do I get my jetpack? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't have a problem with that. That doesn't act, That's not the part that interests me. Uh, what interests me is something that's always interested me, which is what are the things that are often lying in plain sight that tell us something about how the future will change. Not exactly, not, not, not exactly the one way and on what date, but like, what is the stuff in plain sight that we're missing 
that could tell us something interesting about this direction. Because mm. I feel like there's, there's what we feel like we know now about what's happening. There's what we feel like we know about the past. There's some interest or understanding about a, uh, an emerging, rapidly emerging or rapidly adopted technology. We know that. And then we have this idea that's like three steps away where we go, okay, and therefore Jetson's cars or whatever. <laughs> right. But we don't have any conception of what happens in between because we can't have any conception of what comes in between because a couple things happen. First of all, that particular technology, a given technology or set of technologies will change and evolve at rates and in ways that we cannot anticipate. If you look at almost anything, like, you know, in this, we're back to the same joke about you know, um, unreconcilable differences. Like John Syracuse is saying, well, you know, you start out with one, you know, when you have one fax machine, your idea of the future is six fax machines. Like, that's what the future looks like. Instead of going, no, actually, a whole lot of things will change. People, believe it or not, in a few years, people aren't going to have phone lines in their house, so they can't fax. And you'd be like, what? Like, how would you get the internet if you don't have a phone in your house? And you're like, exactly. That's how much it changes. Like, could you have guessed that? I mean, like, could you, I mean, when you had a, I had a DSL line, you know, circa 2000, I didn't know it was going to be like this, no in way. this particular way, this fast. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, we, we know what we know from the past, but, but, you know, we can look at these technologies, but like, there may be things that are nearly always the same way or that change so slowly about human beings in general and Americans in particular behave what we will accept, you know, what really matters to us when push comes to shove, that that can end up telling us a lot more, I think, than just like skimming Wired magazine. And, and that, that, that's what's interesting to me. And, and, but, but in order to make some kind of an accounting about what you think will happen in the future or what will be the thing to watch as the future presents itself to us, I think you can't help but look back a little bit and go, and, and just, just for no other reason than the humility of uh, of saying, wow, I would never have guessed that's the way it would go. <laughs> yeah. Because w- whatever mindset you have at a given time, and there's a whole lot of weird stuff that's happened in history that we look at and go, oh my gosh, I can't believe that's how you people live. There was an episode of Fresh Air yesterday where they talked to these uh, folks who study uh, the, the cooking and diet of Depressions-era America. And mm. they've even put out these horrible cookbooks of what people ate in the 30s. Really? Not a lot- <laughs> What's in, what is in them? Well, oh my God. Well, first of all, here's the here's the thing. And this is another great idea of like so when you say to somebody like, Oh, okay, well, tell me about like what even like middle middle class people ate in the thirties, you might say, Well, first of all, okay, well obviously there was not as much money to go around. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means we don't eat costly proteins as much, right? That makes sense. Yeah. That that you could guess that. You could say, Well, we don't eat out as much. Oh God, we certainly don't eat out as much. You could see you could probably even speculate well, you know, I bet they did a lot more stuff with, say, potatoes. Okay, but now, <laughs> in the same way that I have this jaundiced eye about the future, I also have a weirdly jaundiced eye about the past, because guess what? Some of that's true, a lot of that's true, but there's way more to it than that. First of all, there was a prevailing scientific-ish idea at the time that one of the superfoods was milk, and it was not that expensive. So milk found its way into almost everything. Gelatin. Gelatin was seen as like the jello, what we now call jello, but gelatin back then, which was not just green stuff. You could use it in lots of ways. That was seen as like a food of the future. That was this amazing recent development that people were using. It was not very costly, and you know, it's like uh, it was a great way of like doing something to add texture to this food that otherwise might not have it. Ready for another idea? People's idea of what food should look and taste like was different in the 1930s. Forgive me, I'm just repeating an episode of Fresh Air here. 
But for example, like when they made these recipes, they said, yeah, a lot of the food tasted terrible. But the single hardest part was the way it looked. The food looked so weird. You look at old recipes and you see all this stuff involving like marshmallow and, and uh, pasta that's been boiled for half an hour. And you get these like pink casseroles. And so, so what does that mean? That means you got canned corned beef mixed with gelatin and, and carrots that have been cooked until they're falling apart. But guess what? That's what people liked. People thought mushy, slimy food was kind of savory and filling at that time. Right. The kind of stuff that you and I, and just the idea that like, you know, yes, we're going to put prunes in almost everything because it'll help with your regularity. And it's a good substitute for these other kinds of fresh, fresh vegetables that we can't get. So, you know, it's, if we, if we always take our idea of how we think we understand our life and the five years that have recently preceded it, we can make a lot of really bad guesses about the past, let alone about the future. In that case, yeah, well, I mean, people didn't have a lot of dough. They ate really weird. But they also kind of liked this weird food, the stuff that, like, you know, <laughs> you and I would never – I mean, how often would you go out and, like, make an entire meal out of canned food today and then have it be pink and have jello yeah. and milk in it? And think that that was – you know, it's like still you see this on um, – you see a lot of these still kind of hanging on as traditional recipes during Thanksgiving. <laughs> you know, like if, if you're lucky enough to still have your grandparents uh, be alive, you know, they'll they'll still make this thing that they learned to make in the 40s or 50s, which is, you know, like it's it's canned string beans with those little like onion crisp little string onion things on top. That's, you know what that, I'm talking that's, about? That's, that's a, that, so what happened was after World War II – it's my understanding. Canned canned foods were still kind of popular, and that become almost like a comfort food, I guess, in some I guess, ways. Yeah, Campbell's Soup, like a lot of companies, put out these cookbooks that lots of new quote unquote housewives had, and that's a recipe I think straight out of a Campbell's uh, cookbook from the fifties. <laughs> I think you're right about what to do with cream of mushroom soup. You're right, it's not about green beans; it's about cream of mushroom soup, which is gross and slimy, but you know, kind of good. But like, and but here, how crazy is this though? It's 2016. I still love green bean casserole. Right. And 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 come at me. I still prefer. <laughs> I still prefer jellied cranberry sauce. A with no seeds and B in the shape of a can. Right. Right. Because that reminds me of being a kid, and I still really like it. It's super gross. First time I went to somebody's house and they had a mound, like the the, the they dished it out and it was all it looked like like a dog had taken a big red poop with seeds in it. I was like, what is that? And they're like, that's fresh cranberry sauce. I'm like, I don't think so. Right. right. That is you not shaped like a. Bar- Barbarians. You should be able to slice it into a can-shaped slice. Right. But I don't know. I just I I love stuff like that. I love learning. Like you know, we think we're so smart and we know so many things, and then we realize that we don't even know what we thought we know about the now and the past, let alone the future. Yeah. So why am I saying that with media? Well, I mean, it's you and I, and oh gosh, on all my shows, I end up talking about this because because it's. I can see the delta between where I was, where coming up as a little kid from the age of about five to even the age of 20 was a pretty unbroken streak of not having a lot of money, but loving music, not being able to afford a lot of it, finding free ways to listen to it, and occasionally being able to buy something you really love, and then you'd keep it and take care of it forever. So like, you know, cassettes that I got when I was in probably junior high or high school, I I brought with me to college. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that was your music. Right, right, right. But I mean, where you kept it. And so for me, that all feels like just slight changes on the same theme. Like the music itself might change, but in the medium, yeah, I guess that changes. But but the general paradigm for how you found out about, obtained, you know, located, uh, purchased, and consumed music was mostly pretty much the same. You spent a certain amount of money for this album chunk of stuff, whether that was. I mean, initially it was 45s, 
Then it was 8-tracks, cassettes, LPs, and eventually CDs. There was nothing that that different. The main thing about the CD was like you could change the order you listened to it in, and the sound quality was mostly pretty good. Mm-hmm. But I don't feel like even over that, what, 15 years, I don't feel like that much really changed about the general paradigm. The paradigm for music didn't really change until, as you say, you know, the late 90s. And then it wasn't more than a few years later before it really felt like that was changing with TV. So TV, broadcast TV was king until the mid to late 70s when cable started making incursions. But even then, I mean, you were kind of ritzy if you were paying for cable in the 70s. It wasn't until the 80s. VCRs come along, that changes stuff a little bit. But then I feel like that was still kind of about you go, you could tape this off HBO, like when in 1984 when Star Wars was on HBO, huh, you could right. tape it. Yeah, my grandfather had a, um, I think he had a forehead VCR. So maybe it was eight, maybe it was six, it, whatever it was. That's, I a, think, that's, that's, a, that's a baller VCR. Yeah, oh, it really, really was. And it was silver, you know, like it looked really good. And he would go and he'd buy the really good VHS tapes and he'd like he so we could get him to and he had had HBO so he would record stuff for us and give it to us and I'd be like oh please 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 you know E.T. is coming or whatever it was and he'd record it and then we we would not have to even have HBO we just had our one VCR which was a two two head VCR yeah and we could go and watch it and that was like that was and so every single one of the videos that I ever watched as a kid growing up had the like the last 15 seconds of that terrible HBO flying through the city. Remember that? And like that intro stuck on, on the, the end of it or beginning of it. And you know, like that, that was how oh, yeah. we say watched like, movies. It would say like special feature yeah. or <laughs> yes. what do they say? Like, you know, featured <laughs> something. Yeah. But they had like a funny name for it, like it's a movie, you know? Yeah. yeah I do remember that. I do remember that. That's before the static. Yeah, way before the static. Yeah, here here's the video of it, and uh, I will put it into our show notes, which can be found at 5by5.tv slash b2w slash 285. And yeah, it would start, I'm watching it right now. It starts out, it's got the dad. The dad walks over to the television screen, sits down with his kids, and then cue the stop-motion-esque sort of fly through the miniature city, and it, it flies, you, you're sort of... There's this ominous music playing. You're flying through the city as you know everyone on Friday night is gathered around the television glued to HBO to see whatever their movie was. And then it kind of goes toward the mountain and goes up in the sky. There's a sort of diamond thing appears with a little explosion and the the spaceship HBO spinning around swirling and you would go inside the rotating O with the color bars of light going past you and it would say HBO feature presentation. Pretty pretty cool stuff. Mm. Yeah. But that, you know, you imprint on that. That gets you excited. You're like, ooh. Yeah, some good's like, coming on. Like to this day, like hearing the, you know, the 20th Century Fox theme. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I still, get, I still get a semi. I mean, my God. <laughs> um, so where do we jump in after my semi? Um, I guess... Um, I mean, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm temporarily trying to set aside all the obvious stuff, like that you can like go t- to a torrent site and get a lot of stuff, like where you can go. You know, there's varieties of ways to go and, and get stuff. I guess, I guess, what I'm thinking that like that's a conversation that you had to have five or ten years ago because that was the way that you could get a movie to watch at home without having to have a plastic disc or a plastic box, right? And that's 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 
changing a lot right now. And so I guess part of what I'm thinking of is what I'm trying to eventually get to is a discussion about what this means for the production of media going forward. Mm. You know, the fact that right now it really feels like Hollywood is so dependent on mega blockbusters in a a way that's not dissimilar from the way they relied on Michael Jackson or Britney Spears not too many years ago. That like as as that became uh, this broad and shallow pool, like the really big hit makers become more and more important. You know, or you just think about the way in the last five, seven, eight years, things have changed with independent artists and the way that artists get paid. Like, what does it mean for music when you're making nickels a year off of Spotify? And like, what what is that going to lead to? That's where I want to get to. But before that, I guess we have to talk about like, you know, how we got to where we are. And I don't know, I guess I, I, I feel really fixated in talking about TiVo because TiVo was the first thing, I guess, where I, I, it felt so paradigmatically different in various different ways that it's easy to forget how important TiVo was for, for basically shaking us out of our stupor mm-hmm. about how media worked. Um, and I mean, you know, I guess, I mean, the thing was even like the, the thing was even with LimeWire, Napster, any of those things, you know, there was always this thing of like, well, you might not get the right quality that you wanted. It might not be, you know, uh, I mean, it occasionally would be a prank or something like that, but you know, it was a lot of work and it didn't feel good. It felt kind of, you know, you know, the, the, the faster something was, on Napster or its ilk was was an indication of how popular it was because it means there were more seeds in different places mm-hmm. that you could torrent from. And that never felt great. But like, I don't know, can we talk about TiVo? Yeah, I'd love to. Did you ever own a TiVo? I did. I was very, very late to the TiVo uh, party, but I did have one. I forget which one I had, uh, but... I remember when they first came out, I saw them on TV first, like people using them on TV shows, you know, and that, that very characteristic little boop, 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 Yeah, and, and I was very intrigued by that. And I was unwilling to spend uh, the money that it required to have a TiVo subscription until very much later. I just sort of like rejected the idea and I said, I'm sticking with my VHS tapes, you know. Right. Uh, but... I eventually when I I think the big one of the big features wasn't just that you could record right it was that you could skip commercials it had intelligent commercial skipping built in well there's there's so there's so much to it that we take for granted now so I'm I can peg this I very I pretty clearly remember the fall of 2001 for a variety of reasons (laughs) why (laughs) well there's these things that happened in New York and Washington for one thing Uh In September of that year, um, I remember. So basically, I remember we got our TiVo around nine eleven. I remember, really, um, yeah. I remember a lot about that because, and it's funny because you know how memories become these weird little rat kings of yeah. ideas. Yeah. What well, I, I remember that was also that November of that year was when my wife and I went to Vancouver to see Sloan. And why do I remember that? Because we got upgraded to first class on Alaska Air for fifty bucks. And we had to use plastic knives. And I remember it seemed so weird to use plastic knives being in first class. I was like, oh, you know, because 9-11. Now you got plastic knives. But I also remember having to create a Word document to explain to our friend how to use this new thing we had called a TiVo. Now, TiVos have been, I guess they'd been around for a little while at that Mm -hmm, point. But mm -hmm. this is the sea change for me. So 1999, 2000, I move into this house in San Francisco. We've got my wife's old CRT TV. We've got my no-name VCR I brought with me from Florida. And we have an AT&T cable box. Which was huge. It was just this huge table. <laughs> and it had a remote. 
But so what, you, what could you do? Well, you could flip over and you could watch things you've taped or tapes that you've bought on VHS. Maybe this had pay-per-view on it. If there was pay-per-view on it, we were not using it. But what we got was a direct, what called a direct TiVo. And I think this is when they were owned by Hughes, maybe. Am I remembering that right? But okay. in any case, TiVo did a co-brand with DirecTV. That was, I think, pretty brilliant. So, so we got the TV, we got the AT&T box, we got the VHS, and we bought a direct TiVo. And what this means was we get a two-tuner TiVo, circa 2001, and a dude comes out and installs a satellite dish. So, like, you get all these channels now. So, first of all, that's another thing to mention here is in our case, now we went from cable to satellite, which was kind of cool. It was a little slower to change channels and stuff. But the point is, when that guy left the house, we now had this new device with this whole world of stuff on it. So, let's talk about what's different about a TiVo. Because um, I think you can, it's easy to forget these things. Yeah, the, the, the marquee feature, I think, is that you can find the shows that you want. You can record them. You could watch them in real time, or you can record them and skip over the commercials. But you can also make a variety of different decisions about how that happens that did not exist before that. So first of all, you know, remember VCR Plus? Hmm, remind this me. This was, I believe that's what it was called. This was the ability to diligently stick the correct VHS tape into your device and to queue it up at the right spot on the VHS tape. You could put in your All My Children tape and say, and then there's a VCR Plus code that you would enter in, a numerical like six or eight digit code, that would then say record uh, Days of Our Lives at this time every day. So there was a way of basically getting around having to program your VCR to record at certain times. Okay, that's... VCR Plus was a really big deal. It was kind of like the QR code of its time. <laughs> but that's what you had to do. And if you wanted to have, if you wanted to avoid like accidentally erasing over things, you'd have to remember to switch out the tape, put a different tape in. So yes, for some years you'd had the ability to have timed recording of things, but boy, was it ever a pain in the ass to use. And like you know, the running joke on VCRs is the flashing twelve on the clock. Well, believe me, I mean. <laughs> For for the number of times you saw a flashing clock, imagine like a hundred times that was people who had never used VCR plus right, or right. or timed recording. Usually it was like, oh, the Olympics are going to be on, I will tape this, or Seinfeld is on, I will tape this while I'm watching, et cetera, et cetera. So first thing Tiva does is they have a channel guide, and it's not just that thing that's over on channel four on your cable or whatever. This is an interactive guide. It's got f- full uh, descriptions of the shows. It shows you – you can even click on a show and it will take you to a view like other times that show will be on on other networks. Let's take a minute to remember this is new. I don't think that existed before. Yeah. Just the most basic level. I don't think there was a way to go in and orthogonally view content like that. Usually you got the straight swim lanes view of like at 8 o'clock, this is on this channel, page down, page down, page down. In this case, you could go in and say, you know what? Sex in the City. I like that show. And what are other times it's going to be on? Well, guess what? It doesn't matter because you can say from now on, record Sex and the City to my disc and save up, you know, however many episodes you want to save up, et cetera, et cetera. So that's pretty huge. And then the, I think John Syracuse possibly might agree the worst thing on TiVo, though, was when you had to rearrange your subscriptions and it would take forever yeah. to move those around. Because there were priorities, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, it must have been hard math TiVo was trying to do because if you saved it after every change, it would just go junk, 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 junk. So you'd have to do this like real like go commando way of like making all the changes and not saving and then saving and then you just go, you know, get dinner and come back and maybe it'll be saved. <laughs> but think about how many, all, all those different things. And then, of course, I mean, the thing that TiVo got famous or synonymous for was um, 
being able to skip content, whether that is, and people say skipping ads, but it's not just skipping ads. You could be skipping over the credits if you don't want to watch the credits. Um, you could be, you know, basically skipping to like watching Saturday Night Live, a, a classic show, or like for me, that was 120 minutes in college, a show that I would always tape and always skip through. And now you could do that. And there was a button that did that very reliably. You could learn this remote. Oh, by the way, the remote, better than any remote you've ever had. Right. Feels great in your hand. It's easy to use. It was the last remote that I would consider a no-look remote for me. I really, really, the peanut and I got along very well. But I don't know. I mean, how do you untangle that? That's so many different things at one time. You Now the TV is there to serve you. It's there to bring you the content that you want on the schedule that you choose, in the volumes that you like, and then gives you extraordinary control over what parts of it you want to watch or not watch. If you missed it, you hit the little bloop back button, and it takes you back 30 seconds. I don't know. I've said a lot there. But I I think to appreciate where we are today, it really helps to see that, you know, in the same way that email was the first killer app for the Internet for me, I think TiVo was the the first, like, killer media uh, piece of hardware. I can totally see that. I can totally see that because it really did change the way that we interacted with something that until that point... And tell me if this is if I'm sort of channeling what you were what you were saying is that until that point, it was like you said, it was just those lanes. It, it, it's like this thing was going to be on and people really did collectively say, well, this movie that I wanted to see that I missed in the theaters is it's going to be on HBO at eight o'clock this Friday or this Saturday or like this Friday. It'll be on at eight and Saturday it'll be on at 10 or seven or whatever the secondary time it was. And you know what? As as a group of people, we're going to go to a location to go and watch this thing together. Right. Or whether you, you that's treated like your TV dial or your TV guide. Right. As a kid. Yeah. yeah. And like you would you would go and you would this would determine this would dictate where you were going to be and at what time. And it that was that's really interesting that that, you know, oh, the new episode of whatever is going to be on and we're going to watch it. Now, I still know a lot of people that look forward to watching their favorite show the night and time that it comes out. I still enjoy that. Oh, I I still do. It drives me nuts that HBO Now, I was joking about this the other night, but HBO Now does East Coast time for almost every show. So when Game of Thrones comes on on the East Coast, it is on on the West Coast, period. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, it's terrific. You can watch it like when it, as soon as, and here's the thing. That's like cheating. It is, and it's great, but like for some reason, John Oliver, they wait like at least an hour and a half for it to go up. It's really strange and really why. frustrating. And and to be honest, something that makes me think about whether I want to stay subscribed because that's part of the, the fun to me. It's like there are some things like, you know, um, there are some things that I would prefer to watch while they're on. Um, but, you know, so so yeah, what you're describing, I, yes, you are correct. That's, that's, that's nailing it, is that that is... You know, in the old days, you would pick out your shows on the TV guide, so you knew when you had to have your ass on the couch right. to be able to watch right. it. Right. So, if you've just gotten your TiVo and you're just kind of excited and confused, like so many of us were, uh-huh. what would you do? Well, you look through there and go like, "Oh, so because you still got v- VHS on the brain, so you're watching TV and you go, oh, this is good. It started 15 minutes ago. I'll start taping it.' Mm-hmm. Quote unquote. Right. And so you can hit record, and it starts recording that, and you get this little, you know, <laughs> snippet of a show. Well, guess what? You use a TiVo long enough, and you start to go, "Oh." I missed the first 15 minutes of this. No, I'm not going to watch this now, but I am going to see, I'm going to say next time this is on, record this or start recording this show. So if there's going to be a marathon on, like you say, record as many of those as you can. Um, That is a, that right there is the kind of change that you can't, and sure, you can look back now and go, well, of course that's what you do. But no, you had to use that thing for a while to get your head around that notion. 
that you know this was no longer this was no longer just a device for viewing television programming. This was also a device for managing the television programming that you wanted in your life and for setting basically a set of criteria for how all that stuff could be fed and you could turn your TV off for a week and you wouldn't miss anything that you really wanted to miss. And I think that I think that's a pretty huge change over, you know, sitting there with with cable. Yeah. And you have to really sit with the technology like that for months or years before it really seeps in, right? So, for example, I live in San, fancy San Francisco, where for years I've been able to get pretty okay food delivered to my house, right? Like pretty okay Chinese food from the neighborhood or pizza or whatever. And I, I would, it would always seem so mind-boggling when I go visit family in other places, and I'd be like, "Let's order, let's order dinner." And they're like, "Let's order dinner what?" Like there is one Chinese place in town and it closes at eight and they don't do delivery after that or whatever. <laughs> right. And that always seems so weird to me because my expectation was like that's, you know, people who live in New York, on the other hand, people who live in Manhattan come to San Francisco and thinks it, think it's like, you know, like safety town or something. Like what is going on here? They just roll up the sidewalks at eight. Like I can't get an entire Cuban meal at three in the morning in any neighborhood. <laughs> no, sorry. Like no, we're, we've gone to bed. Um, but like what you get habituated to starts to change your your appetites. Right. It starts to change your tastes. It starts. It might make you. It might make you drill down super deep on a certain topic or show. But it could also make you like more willing to say, "Oh, I'll go check this thing out." And so even with the TiVo, you might say, "Oh, well, my friend really tells me this, uh, whatever this uh, Soprano show is good, so I'll start taping that. Mm-hmm. I'll start TiVoing that." That is a that is a sea change difference in how you think about media. I think. You know, as against, for example, like I'm going to hear this song 25 times on the radio before I consider going out and buying the 45. Yeah. Because I want to really like this song if I'm going to spend a buck on it at the uh, department store. I don't know. I think I think that, that that gets us up to the first stage because now now you're getting into what? You're getting into not just the convenience of being able to control the way the media gets to you and what you, what you do and what you do with it. Like... Uh, I mean, certainly that happens after you use a device like that for a while. But it also makes the lack of that device seem simply intolerable. <laughs> it's like not having Launch Bar or, you know, right, Quicksilver, right, right. having your text expander uh, not work somewhere. You'd just be like, how am I supposed to do anything with this? You know? And I have to tell you, like, my daughter's used to it now because we've traveled a little bit. But, you know, we were away on a little vacation over the weekend. And, like, you know, we're still we're sitting in a TV, TV uh, watching TV in a hotel room. And it's like, no, this is just what's on. It's just Guy Fieri tasting the food for four hours. Like, this is, this is just what's on. And it feels weird and foreign to her in a way that is super interesting to me. I think there is something to be said, though, for the attempts that companies like uh, Google have made with the Chromecast and things like that, where they, they try to make it easy for you to, like, bring that with you to a hotel or whatever. You know, like, we were uh, we went to Dallas a few weeks ago, and we were, you know, we had, like, they had their TVs there, and they wanted to watch stuff on TV. I'm like, okay, well, let's see what's on. They're like, what's that mean? You know, what's on? Because at home, we just have, you know, basically we've got Netflix and Hulu, and, you know, and, and they, they kind of pick what they want and watch that or Plex. And here I said, you know, let's let's just see what's on because we didn't. I didn't want to bring an Apple TV with me, like I've done. It's for, 19, but it's nineteen eighty eight all over. Yeah, again. it really is. You just keep flipping until you see something that's appealing, right? Because the guides that they have on these hotels are on their their ridiculous systems. 
you hit the down button on the guide and it you just sit there waiting and then finally oh, the l- bandwidth is so slow and the, and the picture is terrible yeah 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 well the one we had uh it didn't it wasn't even interactive it was just you all you could do is page down and it was like looking at a jpeg <laughs> this is terrible Tell you what was crazy though was the hotel we were at. Um, it had an in, when you flip the in, I'm always monkeying with the TV just to see what it does. Yeah, right. So I, I was flipping through the input channels, and there was this some kind of branded box, and it isn't hooked up yet. They hadn't like hooked it up to Ethernet, but finally, I think my dream may be close to coming true. We flipped to this input to this omni, um, as uh, Syracuse would say, this omnivorous box, and you can log into Hulu, you can log into Netflix, like right from your hotel room TV. That's not bad. <laughs> oh my god. Would be amazing. Um, what was the other point in all of this? I guess though. So now let's again do a little uh, reality check on like how good we are at predicting the future. So you imagine if you said to yourself like when you're a kid, you say like say to yourself as a kid, imagine that you're going to have this little hockey puck in your house that's going to bring all the TV in. But wait for it, you're not going to be able to like necessarily watch live TV. But imagine that you could buy almost any movie that's ever been available and watch it in your house, or et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think most armchair futurists would have said, well, my goodness, can you imagine how much money the movie and music industries will make off of that? If you take away all of the barriers to being to having to go out to the record store, pay eight sixty nine, bring it home, and probably in some cases, like record it onto a cassette and all that. If you took away all those barriers mm-hmm. and made on-demand music available by 2016, doesn't it seem like that would be that would make it would put CDs to shame? Yeah. There's no need for CDs anymore. Right. If people are going to spend twenty dollars for an album, they can do it right in their house. People will be consuming like they've never consumed before. But <laughs> because we can't, we couldn't suss out the middle part of that future. We got no. Actually, it's pretty different from that. Because there was a time where people were buying lots of music that way. First of all, they were downloading a lot of it, um, not legally. So that was a thing. That led people to have this idea in their mind that they should be able to get stuff whenever they wanted. And it's frustrating that this isn't available. And yeah, 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 you know, this thing called iTunes that came along and people did that. But I think I am pretty unusual in the number of movies I buy on iTunes. I unusual think, I think, in, that, in that you go the legit route and you will buy the movies when... Oh, I do all kinds of things, but as of, <laughs> I think I bought Aliens was my latest one. Okay. Which is still so Yeah, good. still a great movie. Uh, 208 movies on iTunes right now. That's a lot. Well, okay, here's the thing. Imagine each one of those was a VHS tape. So it's a VHS tape where I go to the store and, uh, I, I mean, I didn't start buying stuff from Amazon really until the 2000s. Yeah, I would still, if I was buying media, I would go and buy it at a store, mm-hmm. whether it was a CD mm-hmm. or the occasional VHS. But, I mean, did you ever own 200 VHS tapes? God, no. Of, like, the, of, of movies that you bought? No. Did you, were you one of those guys that had a Billy Bookcase full of VHS tapes? I was not. No. All of my VHS tapes that I owned fit underneath, fit in the TV stand. Right. Like, where the VCR was, quite handily. That's reasonable. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean... So we should pause, but I, I, I think I just think it's intriguing because when we try to figure out this stuff about the future, I think it's I'm repeating myself. I just think it's I do think it is. Well, you useful. say you say that you don't enjoy uh, trying to predict what will be next or what what we'll look at in the future. Why? Why don't you enjoy that? Because I, I find that fascinating and it's also fascinating how often I'm wrong about it. But I think it's yeah, interesting to do that. It's a kind I mean, of a I, fun exercise. 
I think it's fun as an exercise in the same way that you might want to bet about uh, – like let's say you're the kind of person like you're John Gruber who likes to bet on sports. And like you've got an idea about how the Yankees are going to do in this game. I think that's pretty sensible. Sure. I think the kind of like inside baseball people stuff that some people really enjoy, I don't. But some people really enjoy the whole like this is the time of year where people are going to go like will this, will this iPhone you know, have a headphone jack? Like, what's going to happen with MacBook Pros? There's all the speculation. Personally, I don't find that interesting, but I do get that. I yeah. get why people, because, you know, you want a new Mac, right? right? I very much you want in particular. a new one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've spent this morning trying to get the, um, I've got iOS uh, 10 on all my stuff. I don't have the new watch OS, uh, but I'm dying to get that on there. I was having some trouble getting it on this morning because there are actually benefits from that. Everything I've read about iOS, watch OS 3 makes it sound like it's a huge leap forward, so... I'll spend more time on that today. What I'm talking about is more of the kind of futurism that starts to feel, um, I want to say, almost silly because it's a little bit like a butterfly flapping its wings type situation. Mm. Where It's one thing to talk about what Apple as a business will decide to focus on in the next year. What Twitter as a business will decide to do about abuse in the next year. Yeah. I think those things are interesting and, and they're important in some ways. The, the kind of futurism that I uh, – and I want to hear your side on this because, because of why you're interested. But, you know, if you're trying to say like uh, – talking about stuff that's five, ten years down the road – it, it, it's interesting, but it'll mainly be interesting because of how funny it will be about what you got wrong yeah. that you couldn't have known will happen in six months. Yeah. I mean, look at look at home automation. We talked. Uh, I talked a lot about home automation last week. I mean, home automation two years ago felt like this thing that was just going to blow up, just get so huge. But instead, it's just this really confused mishmash of yeah. very expensive stuff that is not shaking out. The experience of setting up most... Excluding things like Eero, which I have to say I, I found did find very easy to set up. They're sponsor of the show, but by and large, you know, setting up a Philips Hue light system, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars and hours to get to where you were when you started, mm-hmm. to get to where you have a switch you can turn on and off. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's difficult to maintain in some ways. And unless you really know why you're doing it, you might lock yourself out of your house and not know why. <laughs> Did you see the link about something like 75% of Bluetooth locks are incredibly vulnerable? Yeah, I did see that. And the, the Volkswagen thing with the car locks, do you see that one? Oh, I've heard about that. Oh, yeah. They can, where they can like, it's like a, they can just kind of like scan a parking lot. Something like that. And I, I talked a while back about wanting a Faraday cage, you know, for my, uh, my, my, uh, for your fob, for my fob, you know, things like that, that, that are, are crazy about technology because anytime we come up with something new that seems like it's going to save time, um, there there are these other things that we need to think about as well. And that is like, how could this be exploited? How could it be? Uh, how could it be harmful? How could it in, you know ruin our privacy in some way or other? And we don't really have a, a, a way to predict how people will. Uh, we'll do that. You know, like my car, if I press one button and then hold down another button on the on the fob, the engine will start. Well, I remember seeing this in 1999 in South Korea when I visited that and it, it blew me away. But the first thing I said was like, well, aren't you worried that, like someone will steal it? And they're like, no, no, no they, they, they can't. They can't steal it. I'm like, well, why can't they just get in? He's like, well, first of all, it's locked. But second, it won't move out of park until it uh, and, until the key is inside the car. 
So he knows right. the keys in the car. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But you know, now so now there's people who can exploit all of these features by putting some kind of amplifier on the thing and then it does another thing and makes it seem like the car is yeah. All of this stuff like basically the point is anything can be exploited. Anything can be um can be, uh, you know, there, there are with technology. There come everything risks. is vulnerable if somebody wants it enough, right? And the same thing is true. Like I'm, I don't know if you we not that long ago put uh, when we moved into the house put uh, door locks on the door, and there are these the 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 nicer locks I guess come with this uh, with with this feature. So you you take the key that it comes with. So let's say you're replacing just one lock on your door or you want to key all of the locks on your exterior doors alike. And, you, you know, you you could uh, you insert this special little tool into a little slot. You turn the original key halfway or a quarter turn, pull it out, put in the key that you want it. And it's a self keying lock, you know, wow. so, so you, you push the key back in, you turn it back the other way. It rekeys itself to match this one lock. You remove the tool. And now that lock is keyed to work with the existing key that you had. So that's useful that if you're, so clever. you're replacing a lock. And, and then they had, then they found that they had to install something called bump guard because there was some, some thing where you could put a key in part way and then you could bump it a certain way, not just with these locks, but with all locks, where you could put a key in a certain way and, and turn it a certain way and bump it a certain way and it would unlock. It would just unlock. Like So something, it's not just... It's not just digital technology that can be risky. It's just the modern day just door lock, which we've had for hundreds, thousands of years. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the, so, so everything can be exploited. But when the way that things seem to get rolled out now with technology, with updates, with software, there are some things I find I'm still like uncomfortable with. And the other day I was thinking about this. I'm like, okay, so my son and I uh, go on walks in the weekends and the evenings and stuff. And he really likes to listen to music, but like, I don't have an iTunes library anymore. And the stuff that he's going to want to listen to wouldn't be in my iTunes library anyway. So how does he listen to music when we walk? Well, he's got an iPod touch. So uh, I use Spotify family. So I got him an account. He can go make his own playlists and then, put them available for offline listening. And then that's how he's listening to music. But he will grow up in a world where we, he never owns anything. He never owns anything. Right. He doesn't own anything. Nothing. If, 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 you know, God forbid something happened to his computer and, and there wasn't, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about a backup of like his steam games. The, just the, only, the, thing, the only thing they care about is game progress, <laughs> game progress. That That's it. No, you're yeah. you're you're saying it as a joke. You're one hundred thousand percent correct. It's game progress. Like I was talking to him about iPads, and he's like, "I just I don't want to have to." You know, I'm like, "Well, you know, should we get your sister a new iPad because hers is the original first generation um, iPad Mini, and it's super super slow, even for the stuff that that she does on it." And she's super into Minecraft, like playing Minecraft with me on the computer. And she, I said, "You know, like." I could get her Minecraft PE for her iPad, but the one she's got is just, it's too old. So I'm thinking, how can I do this chain of, of hand-me-downs? Like I would get maybe the iPad, the smaller pro, and then I could give my iPad to my boy and we would give his to her. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm like, well, wait a minute. The one I have, it's got more space. It's better screen. It's lighter. He's like, I don't care. I, right. The last time you did it, I lost progress in one of my games. I don't, I don't want to do that again. Like, Okay, but he's like, just no, don't clone it, don't die, don't, I'm sticking with this. I'm like, all right. Wow. But like, that's the thing, you know, like, that's all they care about. Everything else, Steam, all the Steam games he's got on his computer, 
we re-download those and in some cases the save points too. It's you know, that's what they care about is that is just the data. Everything else is just a, a construct that can be dropped down into place on whatever new device they're in front of. You know, there's there's nothing beyond that that progress point or that data or that playlist that that matters anymore. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, yeah, it I think crazy. I may I think I may have an angle on this. Um All right. But um like like for example um, my da- my daughter mostly gravitates toward this this one iPad that we have that she's kind of not claimed as her own, but it's the one she always ends up going crazy. Uh-huh. And so she's got a lot of game stuff on there, but you know it's also got my iTunes stuff. Like in the last week, she has created. Well, first of all, let me just say one thing that that may not be obvious. I don't think my daughter owns any media, meaning like remember like when you're a little kid and mm-hmm. like you'd have your might have your records or you might have your cassettes. She's got a ton of, she's got way too many books. A lot of books. I bought her three yesterday. She's got a lot of books. She's got like movies we've bought mostly for her. Like she's the only one that wants to watch Milan too. Right. We've, we've got that on um, iTunes, through iTunes. But like she doesn't own any cassettes or CDs or, you know, VHS movies. She doesn't have any of that. But right. she's very comfortable uh, she's become comfortable using uh, Apple Music to where, like, for example, I don't know if you guys have gotten into the My Little Pony uh, movies, but uh, the songs are actually pretty good. And they're actually, uh, some of them are incredibly, annoyingly good. <sighs> Helping Twilight Sparkle win the crown. Like, it's really, really, really in my head. The cafeteria song, I'll put it in notes. <laughs> yeah, great. But um, <laughs> she's finally, 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 after years, moved out of wanting to listen to Harry Potter at bedtime. Which makes me sad because that was a nice, that was a fun era. But now she likes to listen to like the music that she feels like listening to, whether that's Zootopia or recently My Little Pony. Right. And all of the My Little Pony albums are on Apple Music. Just, just part of my little fee. Like it's just, it's just there. She's in the last week. She's made three different playlists. So she's comfortable making a playlist. She's got one playlist that has every song from all. Like it's kind of silly, but she made a manual playlist with all the songs on. She made another one with like her eight. Mostly pretty favorite My Little Pony songs. Mm-hmm. You should listen to that on repeat. And we made one last night that are her absolute three favorite songs. So she can listen to those on repeat at bedtime. But like that's that's and pretty this is the cute. Point. That's pretty cute. But after you tell me something you like, I think we can get to the salient point here. Uh, with the teaser for that being that you and I, you know, I'm reminded of like like the sand Doctor Who, the fixed point in time, this thing that won't change. You and I are always going to look at stuff based on who we are, how we think about it. We can temporarily try to put on the guise of being, you know, a kid to think about stuff. But we first started hearing that term. What did they say? Before they said millennial, they would say uh, digital natives. Kind of a silly <laughs> term. But you think about people who have grown up uh, in, you know, this. I was, what was I watching? I was watching something last night and like the, the person in it was born in 1981. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, you know, it's uh, from Key and Peele. Peel is a. It was born in 1981. I'm like, how is that possible? Like, how? That's so insane. But uh, if you have grown up, well, let's do a little bit of the quick and depressing math here. So, like, let you know, take the age that somebody is when they really like get into music. Let's say when we got into music, like I, I would say 14, yeah, 15. Guess what? They were born in 2001. So. People who were born, when I got my first TiVo, people who were babies that year are at the age where I first started getting really into music. How many of them own any CDs right now? How many of them own 
any of that stuff. And so the point I want to talk about after we come back about maybe about the future, maybe about now, the thing that we so rarely account for when we're thinking about how this stuff changes, it's not just how we change in that time. Uh, It's not just how the people that we think of as being 25 think about it. What's going to happen to not simply the consumption of media and what people's expectations are, but to the creation of media? Mm -hmm. The idea that the music industry basically went away still seems weird and foreign to me. That doesn't seem weird and foreign to my daughter because she was never there for any of that, any more than she knows like how to use a pay telephone. Like, why would that be relevant to her? And so maybe I'm spoiling the lead here, but like, you know, when we think about what's going to happen with people who make films, people who make movies, well, guess what? Those people were never part of a system where they could count on making a bunch of money from music. Right. I think that's super important. It's one thing to be somebody in your 30s or 40s whose career is going pretty well. And of course you want to keep the union strong. And of course you want to keep distribution locked down. And, you know, of course, like, like, uh, like Lin-Manuel is working with um, Chuck Schumer on this new rule about like, not being able to use bots to buy tickets. Like, there's all this technology that's very challenging and difficult and weird to people our age. <laughs> that just doesn't seem weird yeah. to people that are younger because yeah. that's just what life is. I think that's what we should talk about. I like it. All right, tell me about the uh, second thing that you like, please. The second thing that I like is Squarespace. Talk about not standing still. Woo! Talk about moving things forward. It's so Talk funny. There, I was looking at a, at a restaurant uh, website yesterday, and uh, the person who was looking over my shoulder, they're like, oh, my God, this, this is a beautiful site. Look at that. God, that's so gorgeous. Oh, my God. I could never have a site like that. I'm like, yes, you can. Like, why? I said, it's a Squarespace site. Why? Because when I went to the site, I said, gosh, this site's really gorgeous. And I viewed the source and there's that little generator code up there that's in the source. It says, you know, Squarespace version, you know, whatever the version of it that they were using. And in some cases, that's the only way that you can tell that a site is a Squarespace site. It's kind of remarkable when you think about it because these sites look so different from one another restaurant sites, musician sites, place for a podcast. I mean, across the board, you have no idea when you look at this, who made it, where could you just see the beautiful design? You just see it. It's, it's this gorgeous site. And you want to, you want to dig deep. You want to go look and view the source and you view the source and it's a Squarespace. Like, of course, cause it's awesome. Squarespace. I was just, I went, whenever I'm wondering, I, I hit escape. That's right. Because site. it'll bring up, it'll bring up the console. Yeah. Well, you can disable that, but most people don't. And uh, I mean, I have it on on my sites. But yeah, that's the way I'll just hit escape. But you can also see the code and you're like, I can't believe this is a Squarespace site. The only way I could know this is a Squarespace site is this person doesn't seem capable of making something this pretty and yet they did. Right. That's right. And that's exactly what they do. They, they make beautiful sites and they make it really easy for you to create the site, to change it, to tweak it, to, to know nothing at all about HTML or CSS or JavaScript or any of that crap. You can just go and make a beautiful site by you know, picking some colors from a little wheel and making sliding some sliders and picking some fonts. And all of a sudden you've got this amazing site and you upload a few images and boom, you're done. And it really is that simple. They made a special URL for listeners of this program, squarespace.com slash back to work. Uh, you will get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And uh, when you do sign up, use the code, it's your show, one word, it's your show. You'll get 10% off your first purchase. So uh, thanks very much to Squarespace. Again, the URL, squarespace.com slash back to work. Thanks, Squarespace. Yeah, so I don't know. This is something I, I, I try to think about. Like you think about somebody that's like 
the age of uh, John Roderick's daughter. I think she's like five. Yeah, she's the same age as my girl. They're all oh, okay. a couple okay. couple months. She's a couple months older. But you know, it's. I mean, you think you think about like the golden age of Hollywood. Well, that golden age of Hollywood happened because the networks were totally autocratic, <laughs> locked down the whole system, would get people into these contracts. You know, it was, uh, it's, you know, you know, I think we'll, most of us will probably always remember when Obama, Michelle Obama said, I wake up in a house built by slaves. I mean, one of the most stirring uh, statements about something I never really thought about. And while not anywhere near that extreme, nowhere near that extreme, there always has been this history of being able to make great stuff by hook or by crook. I watched that um, documentary of Donald Trump that got quashed 25 years ago, recently came out on iTunes. Very interesting. Like, he's he's a guy who was just always making something out of nothing. Like, he would get basically create these arrangements with people, get no money down, uh, you know, deals to start right. a building, right. make somebody else pay for it. And if it, it loses money, story. he loses nothing. Well, yeah, but like his whole thing is, uh, and I, I say this with some admiration, is like, he's like... Uh, con artist is that the word i want but his ability to make something seem like something out of nothing is pretty incredible and a basically american story of course now he's a horrible man and he's going to try to destroy the country but that's for a different topic but um but like where are we today you know um there was that time as recently as a few years ago where you would see like major hollywood pictures getting leaked into torrent networks right, sure. from very high up in the chain of the scenes. Like basically somebody who worked in like a mastering studio was able to put that uh, thing out. Uh, people were just not buying them. They've, they've locked down on that a lot. But, you know, still Hollywood needs those huge blockbusters. Yeah, it has to be a huge blockbuster. They don't they don't want to make it. And so now when somebody like Adele comes along in the world of music, she's she's practically a black swan nowadays. Yeah. To have somebody, she's doing something that is almost unheard of today which is she is very popular amongst a very broad range of listeners and consumers, but also people are buying her CDs, mm-hmm. her literal plastic CDs. She's one. Of, I'm told, or I've read, she's one of the few artists today that continues to sell actual plastic discs to That's people. That's interesting. Why is that? I think just because, like, it, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like the NPR problem, where, like, NPR, you know, has historically done pretty well with money, but they've got this problem of their audience graying. It's like, you know, CBS, PBS, NPR. You get these things that do really well, but they're seeing very little growth amongst young people. And Adele has a kind of music that just appeals to a lot of different people, including the people who do buy CDs with money, right? So it's not just young people. She appeals to people in their 50s and 60s who will buy CDs. Right. I think that's part of it. Right. And she's and she's so popular that on that scale, that actually makes a big difference on the, for the bottom line. But, I mean... Just go read any of the things people have written about what bands earn from streaming, what bands earn from selling. It's pretty bleak. You know what I mean? It's, 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 um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here, but I guess I'm just trying to do something to just summarize what we've all been thinking about or hearing about for 10 or 15 years, which is like, what is going to happen with the production of media given that. So few people are buying things for as not much money and on the scale as they used to and in the way that they used to. Sure. You know, it's uh, it's it's like uh, Abe Vigoda says in The Godfather, you know, you're screwing up all my arrangements. Like, this is the spreadsheet that we understand. We understand this distribution network. Like, you know, a lot of people who are just kind of casually into comics don't know the name Diamond. 
Like, they don't know that there would not be a comic industry if it weren't for this single distribution network for comics. Right. It's, it's totally ludicrous. But that, that's how the whole system runs. And so when we talk about these things, think about these things, ponder about these things, complain about these things, I still feel like we're doing it with a certain mindset that's somewhere between five and 200 years old. Because we're saying this is not like anything that's happened before. You know, we, we could look at the excesses of the 70s and rock and roll and, and, you know, what people were getting paid for stuff. You could look at the excesses in terms of what CDs made and profits in the 90s. And we're still using that as some kind of a benchmark instead of saying, like, well, what if, what if the game has basically reset? Like, what are the new rules for that? Right. And, I, and that's where I think it, well, we got to look to the children. <laughs> you know, I think people are still always going to make, make, want to make music and always going to want to make movies. But here's, is this potentially one unforeseen thing? Is like with the rise of what you can do with film editing and CGI on a personal computer, is that going to change the way that some movies get made or that people, some people make their bones? Maybe they're not going to go to film school. Maybe they're not going to become an intern. Maybe they're not going to become a Hollywood PA. You know, is there a chance that there's a filmmaker in Iowa right now who's three years old and playing with an iPad and they don't really care, you know, how much Howard Hawks had for a budget? I think that's an interesting way to look at it is like, what if we set aside everything we think we know about this stuff and look at like what's actually happening? And I think you get a very different picture of it. Little kids are not bewildered. They're only bewildered about payphones when we make them aware of payphones because payphones have no place in their life. They've never had a place. The number of times my kid has talked on a landline handset, count that on one hand. I don't know. I don't know what do you think? I never have. Like they what understand do you think about the future. Well, I th- I see. I enjoy thinking about the future. Yeah, I, I I am more interested in thinking about the future in five or ten years though than I am in six months or on September seven, for example. I couldn't be less. And what a different place I'm in now than I was a few years ago when I would like what three four shows a week all i was talking about was what's apple going to do next yeah read, reading rumor sites and right all like now i really 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 don't care at all what the iphone 7 is going to look like whether it will be waterproof regardless and the reason why is not well i have better things to think about no it's that i'm really happy with the current phone that i have right now the 5se uh, and I know that the seven is not going to be in this form factor. So it, it's kind of irrelevant to me right now. It doesn't, I don't care what features it has. You know, if, if the touch ID is faster, if you, if you can think to unlock, you just think about the phone unlocking and it unlocks, that would be pretty cool. I'm still keeping the phone that I've got and yep. I'm, I'm quite content with it. I like it. It's good the way it is now, you know, so, but when I kind of wake up to the fact that, well, this particular MacBook Pro that I've got was the first generation 13 Retina. It's not that old, but I bought it a little underpowered. I really want a new one. I'm I'm not so much curious about what features the new MacBook Pro is going to have. I don't really care what features the MacBook new MacBook Pro is going to have, except I know it will be faster than the one that I have now. I know it will probably be lighter than the one I have now, and I know the battery will last longer. I know it will have those three things. The only thing I'm wondering about is when will it be available and how expensive will it be? Can I afford to justify to to get it? So where I come from uh, in my mind right now, I don't really care. I don't care if it has an OLED strip. I don't care if the function keys are on the thing. I don't care if it has touch ID and the power button. Yes, I've read all of this stuff and those things sound neat, right? Cool. 
But I find that I'm gravitating toward things that are uh, more simple, more straightforward. And you know what? In many cases, even a little bit more manual. The, the things that are really hard to do, I'm, I, I'm grateful when, uh, when a computer can do those things for me. And I'll give you an example because my head's been in Fireside so much. An example of that is like, no, you should not have to enter in your own metadata and and uh, manually insert your artwork for the MP3 file or worry about manually putting in chapter markers or any of that. that that's Those are computery things that a computer should just do. So, of course, it, it just does those things. But in, in the real world, I'm quite happy to flip a light switch when I want it to be light in the room you know right. i i'm still okay with adjusting a thermostat when i want it to be warmer or colder you just push a button once or twice those things are so easy and so immediate i don't want an artificial intelligence that i have to communicate with in in, in between me and that now if you're going to tell me that i could tell something that i like about this much ambient light all the time and that it could intelligently keep it at that light whether it's lighter or darker or whatever uh, it could it could change and, and remove the blue from the light in the evening like cause stuff like that i do kind of i do kind of get into it so when i think about what's coming down the road in the future i'm thinking about things that that make my life a little bit simpler and do it with the kind of intelligence that doesn't assume too much and that's easy to override if I don't like it. Uh, those kinds of things are much, much, much more interesting to me. I was, I had, uh, um, drinks with a friend, uh, last night who was talking to me about how they're moving their UI UX company, their main focus and their main shift is going to be on like doing VR stuff, doing designing the future of interfaces in, in and for augmented reality and for VR. That's something that's super fascinating to me because clearly, you know, and I was telling him, I'm like, I don't want the future to be VR goggles for me. Like that's, I don't want that future. I don't want to put something on over my face and that's how I'm going to have to interact with things. That just doesn't sound appealing. Now, maybe they'll be able to make it appealing. Maybe they'll be able to make it something that I will want to use and look forward to using. But my limited exposure and limited experiences with, with the VR stuff have, not, have been kind of cool, but not something I want to do every day. Is that because I'm like old-fashioned and I'm stuck with a keyboard and a mouse? Well, no, I'm completely open-minded to changing the way I interact with stuff. I just don't feel like that's what we see as VR outside of gaming and maybe a fun augmented reality type thing. Uh, it just doesn't really appeal to me uh, just yet. It appeals to my son. He likes mm -hmm. it. Whenever we go to that, uh, what is it, GameStop that's buttressed against the Barnes & Noble, he always wants to go on the VR thing. And he would probably love to put that thing on and play those games. This is, I'm not that into it. But... I like to think about that because I know people are into it. So that's the kind of stuff that's fascinating to me that is interesting to kind of think, how will we interact with our world in five years or 10 years? You know, if, if you right. show somebody an ATM machine, the ATM machines are, are, the, are just at the absolute worst things. I actually preferred the ATM machines when they were just the green text on the black background. And you just went, typed in your pin code, and it said how much type how much you want to withdraw. You would type it, you did enter, spits out the money in your receipt, and you're done. Now they've got digital touch screens on them, and they're very uh, they're they're you can choose, make so many different choices. And who needs that? That's not better. I've yeah. told I've talked to you about this awful interface in my car. 
that oh, they're, they're all they're all so it's bad. so bad and uh i was getting my car serviced and they had to do a bunch of extra stuff so they gave me a rental car and a rental car didn't have any of this bs crap interface it was just buttons you want to turn the radio you hit a button the radio's on you want to change the yep. station you spin the knob you want it colder or warmer you move the dial i was like yes this is so much better than this interface i have to wait for a computer to boot up in my dashboard before I can make the AC turn colder. It's ponderous, man. Yeah. So, like, what's the future of that? Why are those interfaces so far behind everything else, you know? But, yeah, but in so many of those instances, though, I, I feel like I'm, I'm becoming a, a broken record. A record is that thing that you, we used to, used to play music. But, <laughs> but, but, um, but, but part of it is that when you think about something like VR. Yeah. Well, look at your look at your... You're, um, God, we can't even get into the car problem. It's, it's so crazy what they think. It's, it's not so different from like putting MP3s on your newbie. You're like, no, that's not what I want this for. Right. Like, spend all of your money making the screen more responsive. Don't spend any more money on how to get an MP3 on there. I know there's <laughs> different budgets. Shut up. <laughs> right. But like, that's crazy. Don't worry about that. Like, you know, like, make- are people doing that? Are people showing up in their car with their brand new CD and like, gosh, I can't wait to load this into my car? Oh, yeah, and it's got the special, uh, you know, Microsoft uh, syncing functionality. That it's like, oh, really? That sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. How about just a really good car stereo that has really clear buttons that are easy to understand that don't require modal changes to get to the auxiliary? Yes, yes. Really, modal change? I have to change. you got FM, AM, media, and then I go to media or um, what's it called? Like input, i got to go and i got to say whether I want auxiliary or Bluetooth. Like there's like three levels to do that. That's nuts. But in the case of something like VR, I think that's actually a, a very interesting example because I think it could – very well get a lot better. But again, what are the unexpected things that will happen as a result of VR? Well, let's just let's go with things that are nearly impossible to not have change. If VCR, if, uh, if virtual reality and AR augmented reality continue, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. first of all, let's the single biggest, hugest, non-negotiable thing for anything to happen with VR. What is the number one thing that has... Is it, is it going to be that people get used to having goggles on? No, no, no. I would call that at least secondary. Oh, is it going to be that there's lots of titles that are popular? Nope. Is it going to be that there's porn? Not yet. Guess what? First, you need a pretty powerful computer. Right. You're going to need a pretty powerful computer uh, or that capable, I guess, a fairly capable new PlayStation. You're not going to be able to do a whole lot of VR on anything you own right now. That means somebody's going to have to start producing that stuff. First for hobbyists and nerds and eventually for normal people. But that's one. Well, when's the last time that we needed that much more firepower on our computers? Yeah, for right. years, I've been thinking I got RAM to burn. How much RAM have I got on this thing? Um, on this iMac where I'm, I mostly type and, and uh, type and record podcasts, I have 32 gigs of RAM. Right. That's, I don't think that's a lot. Come this a lot. Well, that's orders of magnitude bigger than my first hard drive, let alone, you know, the RAM. Okay, so, the, but isn't that, isn't that one interesting thing before we get too far down where, like, you got the one guy, was it the Oculus Rift guy? Yeah. Somebody was saying, like, basically they're not going to make these for Macs until Macs make a decent, Apple makes a decent computer. Right. Well, I think that's super interesting. That's one thing, is that uh, somebody's going to have to start really pushing the envelope on making faster computers that are affordable-ish. And I guess that gets talked about. But like we fixate we, again, we're so stupid. We fixate on that dumb idea of the the idea of looking dumb with the goggles on and it's it's 1990 and wired magazine all over again. 
1994 or whatever. Right, right. right? We can't get past that. We can't get past Because all we're seeing, well, that's, that's completely insane. If all you ever saw was two normal people having sex and that was your idea of intercourse, would you ever want to try it? You go, Jesus, no. Look how they look while they're doing that. Well, guess what? No matter what your body looks like, sex is fun once you're doing it. And I'll bet you, dimes to donuts, VR is a lot more fun than those goggles make it look. Everybody I know who's done it cannot wait to do it again. Okay? So the thing is, how many of us that have decided what the future of virtual reality will be have done it based on photographs of people doing virtual reality? Right. Yeah, no one Because guess to see what? That. There is no other way to do virtual reality than to literally do it with those goggles on. Okay, and now let's get into the stuff that actually is interesting and negotiable. Will, if the, if it, is it going to always require goggles? I don't know. Are they going to go further than just what your eyes see? Yeah, you bet. I bet there's going to be some amazing things. Um, I just I just feel like what we can't anticipate is the knock-on effects and accidental collisions that are going to come up in the next month, year, three years, five years, right, 20 years. Right. What is this going to enable, not just in terms of technology, but in terms of what we expect? If you had not had the TiVo, if the TiVo hadn't existed, do you think you would have like Time Warner and Comcast set-top boxes now? I doubt it, because yeah. people wouldn't have demanded them. They would not have seen the need. They would have not have seen the, the, the bleeding that's caused by not making this stuff available. It takes this confluence of all these different technical technological and cultural changes in order to see stuff, understand what the future is going to be. So I agree. I mean, AR to me, I have zero interest in AR as a consumer of it, but I'm extremely interested mainly in how other people see it. Right. Because everybody's got such strong opinions about it. But even then, like, it's so young. It's but that's so a pretty good young. indicator, though, that it, it, it is something, right? When people have strong opinions about something, then, then that, that means there's something going on there, I think. I don't know. I'm always referring to that Twitter account of like Pessimist Archive. And boy, people have had lots of really strong feelings about lots of things. Jill Stein, boy, she's got some very interesting opinions about things. Um, the Green Party candidate for president. Mm-hmm. She's, wow, for a doctor, she's got some very unconventional ideas about how science works. But, um, but you know, we... Hmm, I'm trying to avoid old man mode and we're running long. But I guess, I guess what I will say is this. Like if you want to really learn... Like, look at all the innumerable videos out there of toddlers or babies being handed an iOS device and somehow being able to figure it out. Yeah. Like, they don't need a manual. They don't need to take control of your iPhone book like we do. They are somehow able to do something with that. I mean, a, a truly talented musician, you can hand them, whether it's a Chapman stick or a roll of toilet paper, they'll find a way to play a blues tune on it. Like, what we need to do is, like, not get so cleft to our own ideas about how stuff can and should change and what is and isn't stupid like because it's not real and it's not useful and that's why it's fun to be me and struggle with this every day Mm -hmm. because it's a very interesting journey yep but watch the kids you know oh you know and one thing also i mean i'm i'm the last person in the world to give parenting advice but like I don't know. I've talked at length about my own concerns and struggles with things like screen time and what that means and what you're allowed to do. And are you watching too much TV? Have you done your homework yet? All that kind of stuff. Even setting that stuff aside, I don't know. I still feel like it's a pretty good idea to give your chance, your kid the chance to figure out what they might be interested in without having to like jam it down their throat. So in that case, I bought my kid some science fiction books that she may or may not read. But also, like, I want to let her just explore the iPad and see what she can figure out. With iOS 10 now, I, I just I just got Swift Playgrounds, and I haven't done anything with it yet. But oh, I'm cool. look, really, really looking forward to that. But I believe the children are our future. <laughs> Give them VR goggles and let them lead the way. No. Because the greatest love of all no. is happening to me and to you, Dan Benjamin. No. All right, let's button this up. All I right. love you. Love you too, Merlin, man.